Welcome to episode 60 of the Untangled Faith podcast. After last week's episode, which seems to have resonated deeply with many of you, I wanted to do a follow-up to address some of the nuances of leaving and staying. Janai Alman joins me for this conversation. Make sure you listen all the way through because I have a fun announcement for you. Yeah, but I think in terms of being a bystander, I think it's so much more nuanced because they didn't exactly experience the harm. And so the cost benefit analysis math that they do in their head is totally, totally different. I don't want to assume that everyone who isn't being abused by leaders are living this comfortable life. Like they've got their own life and mess that they're dealing with. I I felt overcome with emotion because it wasn't just like, yes, they believe it was a, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry because I know what it costs to see the truth. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. I've been doing something kind of scary for the last couple of months. I started doing therapy with a family member in order for us to learn how to communicate with each other better. Therapy is one of the best investments you can make. If you've been considering it for yourself, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. You can start this process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. But this episode is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled, fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. If you haven't already listened to episode 59, the episode prior to this, go and listen. I'll wait here for you while you catch up. For those of you who have already listened, this episode is a much needed second part of that conversation Emily Snook and I had last week. The truth is the decision to leave or stay in an unhealthy situation has countless factors. I asked my friend Janai Amon to help me talk through some of the things that we didn't get to in the last episode. Here's our conversation. I am happy to have Janai join me today. Janai Amon has been on the podcast previously, and I knew I wanted to invite her on the season regardless, but as we started having a conversation about last week's episode, I was like, maybe this week would be the right time to have Janai on. Um, she has been going through some classes on trauma. Like, what exactly is are you taking a certification on that? Yeah, I yeah, I'm going through number one. I I realized that I've I've been asking people like you know leaders should be trauma informed, and they're like how? And yeah. so I was like, oh well, let me find some actual like resources. So um, yeah, one is just like a simple primer course, but then I'm going through like a coaching program as well. So like a trauma, trauma recovery coaching. So that actually helps work through trauma. So yeah. Yeah. So I felt like this isn't just like a, we want to have Janai on because we love her. We do love her, but we also, (laughs) uh, can benefit from some of the learning that she has done and perspective that she brings. So I just want to, you know, set this up and say last week's conversation with Emily was so good. I loved that conversation as I'm editing it and sharing it and getting it out into the world. I I started seeing some talk about people leaving Twitter and whether they should stay or whether they shouldn't. And I know that sounds like it maybe isn't related, but we did talk about staying and leaving in the last episode. And I read uh, some thoughts from people that are not majority culture. Mm -hmm. You don't always have the options available to you. You don't always have a backup plan. You don't always have a, a safe place to retreat to. Mm -hmm. And that started some really good conversations behind the scenes with Janai and some other friends of 
you know, Emily and I decided this probably was a conversation that we had that came from a place of bystanders who have some options and who have Mm -hmm. some amount of power and privilege. And while these people that we had in our minds also probably have been touched and hurt in some way by spiritual abuse or abuse of power, you know, that Venn diagram overlaps, but they still had enough agency to be able to make some decisions, enough awareness of where they were to think through the options and decide what is the right thing to do. Where, as we talked more, that is not the reality for everyone. And so I want to have a part two conversation. And Janai, we have started, we started this conversation like on Voxer. I want to have this learning and dialogue in public for people. First of all, I can say, I was thinking from my own perspective. I'm a very Mm -hmm. white woman. While we've had to make some hard decisions, I have never thought we aren't going to be able to pay our bills. We have no good option. That's never been my experience. Yeah. And so let's talk about all of the nuance, wherever you think would be a good place to start. Yeah. I will. I think for one, it's so multi-layered. It would be an injustice to say this is a comprehensive conversation when really you could probably have a whole podcast season just on this topic alone and talk to so many different people about different experiences because that that question, whether to stay or leave, is not isolated. Like it's it's prevalent in our culture. You know, do we stay or leave at this job that has also become toxic? Do we stay or leave in this relationship. So like I, if people listen to the first like part one or even this part and feel like something's still missing, yes, like I totally get it. I think that there is a lot to, to navigate and yeah. we can only speak from our perspective. And I will say like whenever I listened to your and Emily's part one, I mean, I resonated with a lot of it. Yeah. Even in that, in my own experience, I mean, I was a person who had to navigate staying or leaving as the person who was hurt directly yeah. by the leaders. But even in thinking um, about, you know, I was in that church for 11 years. I had to think through, like, who are the people who have left before me who maybe told me why they were leaving? And maybe they gave me the surface answer, but really there was an iceberg's worth of, like, Yeah, there was a whole under- lot. Yeah, that they you never shared with me. It. Yeah, you didn't yeah. ask like other questions. And so thinking about like, in what ways have I been a bystander and have I opted out of a conversation that I should have dug into more? Absolutely. And we are all still bystanders in some way, in some situation right now. Absolutely. And so um, one person's work that I really, really appreciate, and she's not active on Twitter. So if people are listening um, and they want to find her work, she's really active on Instagram is Dr. Laura Anderson. And so most recently she started to interpret her experience of like what she experienced in relationship and, and as she's navigated caring for people and she, she's a clinical therapist, like caring for people who are navigating and weathering like the storm of religious trauma, she realized that religious trauma has a lot, a lot of overlap with domestic violence. Mm, And for people that don't know, my undergrad is in behavioral health. And when she said that something clicked in me because in my behavior, one of my courses, um, it was like an abuse and a trauma course. It was navigating how to create a safety plan for people who need to leave abusive relationships. And when she connected that, I realized it's not as simple because I remembered that you almost can never force a person to leave an abusive domestic partnership, like a interpartner violence. If you want to be helpful, you have to almost encourage the agency in them to choose to leave. Forcing them to leave is almost like redoing the behavior. Like you're giving, you're taking choice and action away from them. And so When she connected those dots, I thought that's so true. But at some point, many women do come to a point where they think I'm ready to leave. And so the plan is to care for them well. And as you're caring for them, like the weeks or months prior, you actually help them create a safety plan. I pulled up my my previous coursework on like having a code word. Who are the people you're going to text do you put a go bag somewhere with like birth certificates and all your information so you're not beholden 
um, to that relationship where you have like them holding information over your head. And really the safety plan is just outlining what resources do you have so that you can leave. And I think in a similar way, as someone who was directly harmed by church leaders, I think in my head, I kind of navigated what a safety, like, could we actually safely leave? And I think we we could. It wasn't that, I feel like it wasn't that high control. And so I didn't have to have all like a go back, like anything like that ready. But we kind of took stock of like, what are our support system? Like, what is our support system outside of this communal context? And we had one. It was very frail because when you kind of put all of your eggs in one basket in terms of support and community, it's kind of like in economics where you weigh like the cost benefit analysis. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to interject here. The idea of a go bag or having some tangible way to make plans to leave is so important. And this applies to exiting any unhealthy relationship from inner partner relationships to workplace to a faith community. Maybe there's a way to loosen the knots that are keeping you tied to that unhealthy place. It might be developing relationships or new skills. It might be other resources. And if you have found yourself on the other side now, outside of that relationship, consider what you can offer to others to make it easier for them to exit. We realized like the benefit was being free, was being, um, uh, was keeping our integrity. And we had to weigh like, can we pay this cost with the Mm -hmm. current resources we have? And so, yes, we chose to leave. And we also realized like for us to heal, we had to leave. Yeah. But I think in terms of being a bystander, I think it's so much more nuanced because they didn't exactly experience the harm. And so the cost benefit analysis math that they do in their head is totally, totally different. The overlap with domestic violence is so important. And the, the danger of imposing like a Hey, this is what's happening to you, Janai. You need to open your eyes. Mm-hmm. That that's taking away somebody's agency. That's that's also like trying to control somebody, and that's not healthy either. Yeah. Um, Dr. Steve Hassan, who is the the cult expert who wrote mm-hmm. Combating Cult Mind Control, says a similar thing. There used to be this idea of deprogramming that if you could just like grab somebody out of a situation against their will. And get them away from the high control group that you would be able to help them get on their way and get healthy. That isn't a thing that happens anymore or is not recommended by people that understand how to deal with people who have been coercively controlled by someone Mm -hmm. because they still aren't learning to take care of themselves. They're still letting somebody else impose their ideas of what is the what is right for them on them without and that is exactly the thing we don't want to replicate yeah as as we've been talking you said the word when we should somebody it's a really dangerous thing because we don't take into consideration all of the different factors like when you say you should leave yeah you should do it this way under this timing how does that land with you does that does that fit does that sound feel comfortable for you yeah as someone who's had to like relearn what even agency is. And it's so funny. I just wrote on this yesterday on my Instagram page. So many preachers preach about like being agents of reconciliation. I mean, that's in the New Testament, you know, become agents of reconciliation, but they actually don't kind of address the foundational understanding of like, we are agents that represent God. And in so like in, in being that we actually have God given agency but somehow like that's never discipled into us, like actually understanding our agency as human beings. I think what really happens in so many faith-based contexts is codependency. And so like I am not actually a full human being until I am dependent on the church. And maybe we don't, we're discipled by the church. We, we kind of use religious language to kind of cover up the yucky language. But I I was also thinking that like, we don't should anyone. Um, There are very few like actual shoulds that we like, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. When we add those extra biblical shoulds, like we actually create a recipe for shame because we don't take stock of the resources that individual person has and able to like, who are able to meet the expectation that we're 
we're setting when we give someone, well, you like a prescription, you should do this. I think I've talked about it with other friends about like, this is a prescription that's not for my body. And so like you're prescribing something that's actually harming me and I can't take, I can't take that pill. I can't swallow that pill. But yes, I, I don't think, I mean, we really should, uh, there's a should, we really, um, <laughs> I'm trying not to use the should. It might be more beneficial yes. to encourage someone else's agency instead of shooting them into shame. Yeah. When I have a conversation with someone and I just did this with you, if I am like restating something or I am trying not to put words in people's mouths. And that's one reason why I sometimes say, does that fit? My friend Lydia, who has learned about the Enneagram, when people are asking her about Enneagram and, and like, what might I be? She'll say, try this number on and Mm -hmm. see how it fits. Do some reading about it. Do some reading about it. Try it on. Does it fit you? Does it feel comfortable? And I like that picture of, yeah, and maybe it does. And maybe it totally does. Maybe it needs to be tailored Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, It also reminds me, and this is a conversation we were probably having the other day about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm -hmm. So this is the sort of thing where when you have new knowledge about something, all of a sudden you need to, you want to tell everyone everything about it and people need to be where you are. And of course you have, this is new knowledge. You don't realize it takes a little while for you to realize, oh, I know less than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. What happens is as somebody actually does get more information and more educated in something, they realize they know less. So they feel less confident in saying should Mm-hmm. and this is the exact way everything works than they felt when they knew less. Yeah. And I, I think that applies to our situation when we are coming out of abusive, high control situations where we're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know it was bad. I know it was bad now. And this is what we need to do. This is what everyone needs to do. Yeah. Everyone needs to burn it down. Everyone needs to leave right now. Everybody needs to stand in the corners with signs. Yeah. Like we become evangelists for this new, the new information that we learned. Part of it is excitement. Like I've put another piece of the puzzle together and it's, it's colored things in a new way and it's made things more alive for me. But when we, what we don't realize is that that's not happened in the brains of the people around us yet. Yeah. For whatever reason. And so I think for those who have, you know, come alive to the idea of there being abusive and toxic behaviors within a faith-based community. In my situation, the there are there were people who um, heard about my story in my church, and they left the church, but they kind of went to another, a, a, like a sister church plant. Um, so it was kind of leaving, but not leaving. But they did leave that immediate context, and then later another abuse scandal came to light, and it was like they started putting the pieces together, and people just left. In, in bigger groups because it, it was like the puzzle of something that did not make sense. Like it di- wasn't on fire for them yet yeah. and it didn't yeah. garner their immediate attention. And I think that's something that's really important for why some people stay. I don't want to assume that everyone who isn't being abused by leaders are living this comfortable life. Like they've got their own life and mess that, that they're dealing with. Like, yeah. There are other fires in their life that they're putting out. And so when some sort of conversation about somebody else, a, a pastor or a leader mistreating someone else in the church, is hap- maybe that fire to them isn't really that dangerous because they're trying to put out another fire. And so I don't want to should them into saying you should go. When we talk about trauma and if trauma is you know too trendy of a word, like a wound, like Trauma is literally the Greek word for wound. That's just all it is. Um, When people are dealing with other wounds that they've incurred throughout their life, one of the ways that you heal from that wound is like understanding what resources you have to move through this life event that's been really traumatic for you. The problem is, is that the church itself becomes a resource for people who are dealing with other traumatic wounds in their life whether it's, you know, the loss of a a child or the loss of some other, like a loss of a job. And so uh, the church then becomes a resource 
Yeah. Where this person can deal with this life event because they have this resource. What the church tends to do a really bad job of is resourcing people. I mean, and this is really true of abusive environments. Like you can depend on us. We're going to take care of everything right here in this central location. Right. They don't ever tell you, they don't encourage agency. Like here are the resources available to you so that like you can make informed decisions of what you need to do in the future. It's the difference between the agency and the codependency. Like the church will come, will come to your aid. Well, except for when the church doesn't, we'll help you, we'll help you. And then they don't. And then it starts to get toxic and abusive. And um, it, I, I think that's where a lot of nuance happens is that we don't know what people, what resources people have in navigating their life and whether the church has itself been a resource to them. And if it has, if it really is a resource to them and it's, it's done all these good and beautiful and amazing things. For them, it's really hard to reconcile that goodness with yeah. all the wickedness that someone else, like this, it looks like an isolated incident yeah. when really if if the leaven leavens the whole lump, we don't see that it's actually an infection that's spreading. Yeah. Oh, that resonates so strongly. Janai and I will be right back after a quick break. I promised an important announcement and here it is. I'm hosting a live stream on Monday, November 14th at 8 p.m. Central Time to spend some time diving a little deeper into this topic of staying or leaving, and I'd love to have you there to interact live. This will be for my Patreon supporters. If you have not already joined us on Patreon, there's no time like the present to do so. The Patreon community is the primary way this podcast is funded, and as a thank you for their support, My patrons receive access to bonus audio that doesn't get shared with the public and live streams like the one that's coming up. You can access all of this by going to patreon.com slash untangled faith. That's patreon.com slash untangled faith. Now back to the show. You know, I, I know of people, hey, this community, this organization and this leader, they gave us these resources that they didn't have to give us in a really hard time in our life whether it was like to help with medical bills or mental health, a therapy, and just we're we're so very generous. And so to hold that in one hand while also hearing reports that the same place has been so harmful to other people is a really hard thing. Mm -hmm. If you're in the middle of giving that care, for sure, it's going to be very, very difficult to reconcile that. I don't ever want to shame somebody Mm-mm. for doing what they need to do to survive. And that is not a, this is not an exaggeration. Some people are just surviving and to ask them to move beyond surviving, to disconnect themselves from the thing that helps them survive, to expend even more energy in another place is, is asking a lot. Yeah. Um, we don't always see the fires, the other fires that are going on because yeah. people, in, it's, it's people's own lives are personal mm-hmm. and they don't share everything that's happening behind the scenes. What are some things that might be happening with somebody that's experiencing some, some wounding and trauma that we might not think about when I'm sitting here saying, why don't you leave? Yeah. This is a bad situation. What are some of the things that people might not know are happening that would keep them from leaving? And you've touched on it a little bit, but like, let's talk about in a, you know, domestic violence situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Why, why would they stay? Oh my gosh. So many reasons. That's such a big question. I will share from experience um, not from my own part. Like I, my husband is solid and an amazing guy. He should be, he is like an angel saint. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in what I've witnessed, some people stay in domestic violence relationships because, uh, they don't know. I'll speak as a, a, a biracial woman. They don't know how to navigate the culture. Mm-hmm. And so when they have a connection to someone who does know how to navigate the culture, 
who can help them get jobs, who can help them, you know, uh, pay bills. Or some people might stay because some people might stay because they're doing something for their children, for they're providing a certain like services or in, in one category, people in domestic violence situations don't always know. And it's also covered in love. Like you think love looks like this. A lot of people stay in domestic violence situations and in uh, abusive faith-based context because love love has been defined as like this messy, you're in it, we're in this together. Um, the church has always been messy. Like yeah. we're not going to turn our back on, on her now. Um, we stay sometimes because we think love means staying. Yeah. Um, I don't think many leaders do a good job of articulating when it is loving to leave. Like it is most loving in honoring of the people in even my personhood or like it's no longer healthy for us to be together. Like yeah. in my mm-hmm. instance and in my church, it was no longer good for me. I would no longer be um, the faithful person I was if I had stayed and writhed with rage and bitterness toward these leaders who I was supposed to trust among the rest of the membership of the church. I didn't want to be that person. Yeah. I wanted to thrive and loving the people around me meant like I need to leave. Yeah. Um, I hoped that other people would leave with me, but I couldn't define like what they needed in their life and in that moment. And so sometimes love looks really lonely, but I think a lot of people stay because, you know, they're, identity is so wrapped up and I'm thinking specifically of for domestic violence their abuser will actually have like their literal identity they won't have access to their passports to their driver's license to their car keys they might not have credit in their own name right maybe the relationship itself was so toxic from the beginning that that abusive person conditioned them not to lean on anyone else for support. Mm -hmm. You can't go to your mom because your mom's crazy or you can't go to these people because they, they don't want what's best for you. And so they have like that programmed into their brain that the only person they can trust is the faithful person of the house or the faithful leaders of the congregation or whatever. And so like our identity is so enmeshed with the faithfulness and what loving is usually conditioned into us by this abusive leader. If the church is more focused on being the resource for people, I think that has a huge tendency to happen because then the church is the resource when really what the church ought to do is teach people to grow in wisdom themselves, like teach them what resources they have, teach them to read the Bible as a resource and teach them that they can learn directly from the words of Jesus themselves. But no, they don't do that. They say, you know, lean on my interpretation of yeah. things. Yeah. And that's exactly what abusive relationships do. The abuser will say, lean on my interpretation of things. This is how your mom behaves. This is how yeah. your dad behaves. And this is why you can't trust them. And so like we've... It's not just lean on relationship. Yeah. Uh, it's that relationship also impacted everything else. Mm-hmm. And whether you even have some certain life skills and coping skills, they didn't, they don't exist Yeah, because you have, have used this other thing mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah. I mean, I think about women in the church who both, <laughs> gosh, women who have been in spiritually abusive church environments and in domestic violence relationships where they were told that all they're good for is like being a mom and a wife and raising kids. So no, you don't need to go to college. No, you don't need to like grow in all these ways so that you can be independent and support yourself. And so when they find that they are not only being mistreated, but abused by the church and by their husband, they're left with almost no leg to stand on. And so I understand why some people stay but I also really, really hope that they experience the freedom of leaving. But I know that they can't experience that freedom until they know that they have the resources and support of other people yeah. that enable them to leave. This is something I think that may resonate with you and me. Both of us have wonderful spouses. They aren't outspoken or online, really, mm-hmm. in the spaces that we are. And they are perfectly fine and comfortable with their role in what they do and our roles in what we do. But I do think there has been a 
message that it's, it's been sent at one time or another that says, what's wrong with all these men? That they are just standing by and letting all of the hits come to their to the wife. And why is the woman being hurt? Where is the man in all of this? Mm-hmm. Talk to me about the good man in all of this that that's maybe being missed in that conversation. I mean, I'll talk about my good man because yeah. I, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry, Amy. <laughs> I was t- I was literally talking to my therapist and working through all of my own personal mess and junk and telling her like, you know, this, this most stable relationship in my life has always been my husband. Mm-hmm. And I've known him since I was 17. Now in, in my 30s, I'm about to be 35, kind of naming the toxic relationships I had in my childhood that like prevented me from understanding actually the toxic and trauma like traumatic relationships I had in my childhood I believe set me up for the spiritual abuse that I experienced mm-hmm. from my church but my husband has always been a very he's like a gentle giant he's over 6 foot tall He's soft-spoken. He doesn't bust into the room and want all eyes on him. He would much rather be in the corner, you know, petting someone's dog or whatever. Um, But he has always been consistent, so consistent. Not that his views and his beliefs haven't shifted and changed, but the ways in which he thinks through things, it's not volatile. It's not fast. It's slow, consistent, and humble. So normally you would just by looking at my husband think like, oh, he's not an outspoken guy. And he's never been outspoken on social media. He's not one that's like, hey, everyone look at my smoking hot wife. It's her birthday. <laughs> I don't, And I don't expect that from him. He doesn't do that at all. But he's, he says, you know why I'm not online? He said, it's because I'm a white man. And white men have historically put their foot in their mouth all the time online. And he's like, and I don't want to do that. And he's an Enneagram nine, if that resonates with anyone. He's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to hurt anyone. And he was like, also, white men have had the floor for most of history in the United States. Like, I can let my biracial wife say all the things that I totally agree with. And actually, he lets me teach him. So that's a good man. Also, when the abuse went down, like, he is a very mild-mannered Enneagram 9. He's like, let's let's look at both sides. He's very good at both sides of the argument. He will analyze from all the sides and the angles. He was actually the one that named what was happening to me. He was like, they're not transitioning you out. Like this isn't an informal off ramp. They're getting rid of you. Like this is a termination. This is a firing. Yeah. He was also trying to get me to a place where I could name it for myself. Yeah. And he did. I now name it for myself. And I now can stand on that foundation because he was the one that was trying to tell me, you're not crazy. Like this is like incongruent with what we have historically preached from the Bible. Like this is not faithful. Yeah, A good man does not need to be loud online. Maybe yeah. there are a lot of good, truthful, faithful men who are loud and like saying the things that need yeah. to be said online. But I want someone who's going to go to bat for me behind the scenes when the most vulnerable are taking being taken advantage of. That's the least sexy work is the behind the scenes work yeah. that's not seen. When we were behind closed doors and it was the la- one of the last kind of a round table meetings with my pastors before we officially left the church where they said, you know, you have no other option. You're gone in a few months. Yeah. I I came to that conversation knowing I can't ask any questions because it will all be perceived against me. And so I let my husband speak and he had all the questions, all the questions, like heavy hitting questions. And he's an Enneagram nine. Like he's, he doesn't know how to engage his anger, but I could see he was angry because his hand was shaking because that's how Mm -hmm. his anger starts manifesting. And he's trying to suppress the anger because he thinks it's bad. He thinks, but he's like, I was like, no, this is righteous. This is good. And at some point I could see that what they were doing, what they had done to me on staff for years is turning my words back around and hitting me with it. They started using his words and turning his words around, lobbing them back at me, kind of like slingshotting them to say like, she's the problem. She's, and he's like, but I know she's not the problem. I've been married to her for over a decade. It's, he stood up for truth at great cost to his emotional, I, I, I married to him. So he did. He does all the things that make him typically uncomfortable. Um, yeah. He didn't opt out. 
but we both paid the cost. And I mm-hmm. think that there are people who are not married to, there are friends that can do that for one another as well. Yeah. But I also know that we were in it together. We were a support for one another. He was able to do that because we had the resources to kind of stand up yeah, yeah. For, for what we believed to be true and what was true. It is good to like clarify the fact that there are different things people are doing to support people mm-hmm. and it isn't always happening in public. Yeah. Um, and to make that assumption about somebody is really a dangerous assumption to make Yeah, and can be really insulting. Uh, the other thing is it really does point to one of the other areas of support structures, um, power and privilege that somebody has in making a hard decision to leave a place. Mm-hmm. If you have a partner that you have a really healthy relationship with and trusts you and you trust them, the ability to make this decision is so much easier. It's not going to be easy, but it will mm-hmm. be easier than somebody where the, the spouses aren't on the same page to m- tell somebody you need to leave. Mm-hmm. And they know that it's going to cause a huge rift in the most important relationship in their life. Is yeah. a big ask. It's huge. Even in the ways in which that we create like our Christian cultures, like our church that we left also was tied to, it didn't create, but it was a lot of the people sent their kids to like this private school, um, like a Christian private school. And some of the moms started teaching for that private school. And so their lives are more and more layered on top of their faith-based experience. And I think like, man, if, the cost is more than just staying or leaving. Like this, when your whole support system is girded by the community, it's so date. Or, or even if you have your own business, but a lot of your patrons come from that church, and so if you decide to to leave, you're you're putting your <laughs> your business on the chopping. Like I, it's so multi layered. So there's. I, I would hope that people can always leave and believe um, those who are more vulnerable um, yeah, to yeah. abuse of power. Like I, that, that would be my hope is I'm not going to tell them to stay or to mm-hmm. leave, but what I hope they do is that they listen to the vulnerable. Yeah. Cause I yeah. think that is a should that um, Jesus tells us to do, like to care for the widow and the orphan, mm-hmm. to care for the stranger in our midst. Um, and how so often, um, you know, the priest and the Levite, they walk right on by. And normally, in my case, the priests and the Levites in my life walked right on by. It was the good Samaritans that took care of me. And if, honestly, it was my CrossFit family, who most of which were not Bible-believing people at yeah. all. And they were the ones that empowered me. And I had, it was so silly. I mean, it's a, it's a CrossFit gym and a lot of people like to hate on CrossFit gyms. But they were family to me whenever yeah. I lost everything. And I think, man, like some people don't even have that. Like some people don't even have, uh, like when the church really has become your everything, Mm -hmm. because the message we've pandered for so many years is all you need is Jesus and Jesus is in this building and Jesus is in this church. Then we've effectively cut them off, especially Mm -hmm. when you you use scripture to say, you know, the Lord came to divide um, fathers and sons and like your family. So like, it's okay if you don't have good relationships with your family because Jesus came to do that. Like that, that is spiritually abusive for sure. When you cut off support systems that could have been there. But I also think of people who have left and moved like across country to plant a church or like be asked to plant a church. And then they realize they've walked into this toxic environment. And so now they have to choose between, their job and their livelihood or, you know, going back and living in their parents' basement, if their parents even have a basement, you know, like, exactly. Yeah. um, You're not even looking at just your resources, but also the resources of people around you. And Mm -hmm. um, for those of us who come from, you know, lower middle-class families or from people who, who come from poverty, like you, not only do you not have resources, but your communal experience doesn't have the resources. And that always happens for the most vulnerable, the most marginalized populations. So namely, you know, people of color and women of color, the LGBTQ community Mm -hmm, who are effectively cut off from, like, I just think like, it's not just personal resources, but there are societal and systemic resources that are not available to 
so many people, but that are available to the predominant culture. That is a huge factor as well. Oh, that that's a good insight that not everybody would have. All we have is our own experience. And mm-hmm. often we think that is the experience everyone has. You just assume this is the default normal. And that's what I'm thinking. That's what I was thinking about with our last episode. So I push publish. I get up in the morning and then I was like, my default normal isn't everyone's. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> my yeah. default normal isn't everyone. And if if nothing else, I hope people will learn, well, to have compassion with themselves mm-hmm. for for not exiting a situation that was really harmful. Likely you did the best you could with what you could for as long as you could. We all have regrets, um, but also to offer patience and compassion for the people around you mm-hmm. that don't have the power and privilege. And I'm thinking of, a, you know, there's a lot of frustration when my husband left his job with some people that stayed and they knew the truth. And I'm thinking of one particular couple and I know why spouse was still supportive and had a hard time believing the truth in the situation because of some things that have happened in his life that made him really want to believe that this was a good place and that what he had been told by people was true even though I knew it wasn't. I knew the trauma in this person's background that made them so desperately want to believe the best. Yeah. And it was so painful for them. And it would not have been a good friend to be like, what is wrong with you? What yeah. is wrong with yeah. you? I, I know you have trauma in your past, but wake up. And, you know, fast forward a couple years later, I run into the spouse of this person in the grocery store. The spouse says, you know what? We've read all the articles. You know, this person brought it up. I didn't bring Mm -hmm. it up. We're standing by the bread in the bread aisle. And I just want you to know that everything you said is true. And we both believe you. We both know. I I felt overcome with emotion because it wasn't just like, yes, they believe it was a, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry because I know what it cost to see the truth. Yeah. It cost so very much. And if I had forced something, it would not have helped anyone. Where I'm landing is it's really not my, it's not my place to tell someone else. If if I'm for my agency and I'm for the agency of every human being on earth, it's not my place to convince someone to stay or leave. All I can be responsible for is speaking the truth. Yeah. And I can trust that as they receive that truth and as they process it, maybe I'm not the person to process it with them. Yeah. Maybe they process it. And maybe I am. I, and if they are, like, that's an invitation. It's not something I enforce on them. I speak the truth and, like, trust that whatever God is doing in their heart and in their life and in their particular moment. Because, like you said, like, me speaking the truth might be triggering some sort of traumatic event that like harkens them back to something else in their life. And they, I've immediately put them in fight, fight or freeze, freeze mode without even yeah. knowing I did. And I just know that I'm here to speak the truth, to do whatever I can with the truth, to tell the truth. And it's, it's really my job to take care of myself at this point. And for those who are listening, like entrusting that they will come to the wisdom at their own timing. And I think being humble with with the truth means that like, I don't have to sell the truth to them. Like the truth will stand on its own Mm -hmm. um, and they will catch on to it later. And I I think that's where we get burned out. I think that's where we get frustrated is we've tried to convince people when really it's not my job to convince anyone. It's my job to stand in the truth and my agency of like what happened in the story I lived and whether someone does or doesn't believe me, I really hope they believe me and I hope others are believed because I know what it is to not be believed. But I think the healing work happens when I believe myself and trusting that I can stand in the, in in the truth of that um, and knowing that like God will still take care of me and he will he can minister to that place like without my direct and I don't need to be the Messiah or savior 
accepting and acknowledging my limitations means I don't do that. In our situation, I think of the verse that says, you know, that what, you know, men meant for evil, God meant for good. And I think about that in our situation. When my husband first left his job around the same time, you know, our friend Melissa, whose life was very much wrapped into mm-hmm. everything that was going on there, ended up being under a gag order. And so she could not speak about the situation legally until the divorce, you know, a divorce is a lawsuit. Yeah. And so until that lawsuit is settled and whatever the settlement, you know, agreement is, and part of that settlement agreement was there was no more gag gag order, but that was months. And because our situation was so wrapped up in her personal life and she couldn't speak about it, it was a, we, sh- it was a time where I felt like we needed to be quiet too. While, and while that felt really frustrating, mm-hmm. it ended up being really a gift of being able to spend a lot of time with me in my journal and just in talking to God, praying about him speaking and yeah. him doing the work. And I didn't feel like I had to go and make sure everybody knew everything. Yeah. And there's a part of me that sort of misses that because I got to sit back and just be like, okay, God did all of that over yeah. all of these months. It wasn't me. You know, I, it wasn't that I had, I said the exact right words in the right way. It was that God used that silence to work in people's hearts. And, and, it reminded me that it is not on me to save people. It is not on me to make sure everybody knows the right thing. Janai, what would you tell people or how would you encourage people to be patient with others that are in a different place? What are some specific things that someone can do maybe to encourage somebody that's still someplace unhealthy that maybe doesn't know that they are and isn't ready? Yeah, to see I, or move on. I think the the first thing that comes to mind is like, don't become the people who hurt you. So don't enforce, don't coerce, don't try to manipulate them out. If you want to encourage them, like offer them the truth and extend an invitation. There was something that Diane Langberg said at the last Restore Conference, Restore uh, 2022, where she said, you know, Christ knocks, he doesn't barge in. He waits for you to open the door. If you want to faithfully like help people, like you knock and you extend an invitation, you don't barge in and like wreck shop and like force everyone to leave. Um, you just invite them, um, trust that they will accept the invitation when they can. Yeah. And sometimes your existence is an invitation. Yeah. You existing outside the system and being their friend and not making demands on them. Like I will be a person that is your friend, regardless of where you are. Yeah. And then they know if they decide to leave, they don't lose everything because they've already got somebody that's existing healthily and doing well. Sometimes just living your life in a way that is happy and joyful in an outside of a system is an invitation that is louder than our voices demanding they join us. Yeah. I think for friends who now... Um, and hear me, I, I did not keep very many friends, but I, I did keep friends who did also leave. I am friends with people that also left that environment. And I think if anything, the loudest invitation is my life of thriving now. Mm-hmm. I've realized that we always talk about like, what? It, I just remember so many conversations about what is rest? What is rest? I'm living a life of rest now. I'm not doing nothing all day, every day, but I yeah. actually have rested and triaged myself enough to know what thriving is and what it means to laugh in excitement and enjoy. Um, it doesn't mean the bad things have gone away, but they make the good things that much sweeter. And I feel like that is the greatest invitation of like, you can be where you are, even if it's unhealthy, but like there is something more beautiful and sweet. And the church is bigger than that one place. Yeah. And that is, that is a loud and good invitation to offer. And it, and it, it's the one that continues to gently knock on people's doors if they want it. I don't always know how things are going to land and I can't say I know for sure, but I just have this thing that says I, the Amy of 2018, 2019 needed to hear this. And, and there's somebody that's a few steps behind us 
that needs this reminder. I am just so thankful. I am thankful for you bringing up for when I say, what did I miss? You shared boldly with me and thank you for being the friend that does that. I am very, very grateful. I do not want to take advantage of you or take that for granted. You are a gift to me and thank you. Thank you for being a safe person that I can say, hey, I have a different idea. Thank you for being that friend to me. Before you go, I want to invite you to keep listening to the rest of my conversation with Janai in our Patreon community. You can find that at patreon.com slash untangledfaith. Okay, now, oh my goodness, I am overwhelmed with gratitude to my friends who joined me for this conversation and the last one, and for all of you who have listened and engaged in this. My friend Pam just started listening and she's blazed through most of the back catalog in the last two weeks. And some of you on social media are telling me you've been taking notes while you listen. Jackie and Nate and Ashley and Jeff and Elizabeth, Tom and Lauren and Leah and more. Your feedback has been so encouraging. It is always my hope that something you hear on one of these episodes will give you something to consider and talk about with your friends in person or online and that it will make a difference in your life. I'd love to keep the conversation going over on Twitter or Instagram or through the Facebook page. I'm Untangled Faith on Instagram and Facebook and Faith Untangled on Twitter. You can find show notes at untangledfaithpodcast.com. For more information about supporting the show, check out patreon.com slash untangledfaith. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. A special thanks to my Patreon supporters. This podcast is made possible by their support. I also want to give a special shout out to the producer level supporters, Michelle Pianic and Phil and Susan Purdue. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope I get to see many of you at the live stream on Monday, November 14th at 8 p.m. Central.